One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Hard Run Box podcast. We have got an episode talking about all sorts of different things. We're going to be talking about some Zen 3 X3D CPU rumors. We've got some Intel APO updates as well, sort of our thoughts after the video that Steve published earlier in the week. A chat about game optimization. What are our sort of solutions for game optimization and upscaling being used? A response to a listener mail there. And my thoughts on using Cyberpunk 2077 in its path-traced DLSS glory. So we'll look at, yeah, what, what's sort of going on there? What's the actual experience you get on a 4090 with all those features enabled? So yeah, bit of a strange episode. Lots of things that we're talking about, lots of cool stuff. So let's get into it. Hey, Steve, how are you going? Good, thanks. What about yourself? Oh, doing just fine. Just fine on this Thursday Maybe I shouldn't say what day it is because then people get confused that we don't release it on the thir- on the Thursday. But anyway, they'll work. They'll work it they'll out. They'll work it out. They Middle of the day. Works. It's lovely. I've just been editing a video that I've been putting in some some time into for monitors unboxed about refresh rates, the benefit of refresh rates, and why you should uh, get a high refresh rate monitor. So that's been going super well. And yeah, now we're here to talk about some other stuff. Yeah. Well, I can't really talk about what I've been doing because I'm bound by NDA. Ooh, can't, spicy. Uh, can't acknowledge that I have the product or what the product is or anything along those lines. I'm sure those mm-hmm. in the know can work it out, but I have been busy. I have been working. I just can't talk about it. So that's, so that's just, my excuse. I've got to take a, a close look at what's in the background of your video frame now just to see yeah. like, oh, is it showing? Is it showing? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all over over in the, uh, the test area. So yeah, nothing over here. I don't think Balin's got nothing over here for B-roll, but it'd be so out of focus you wouldn't be able to tell. But anyway, so that's my life. My life is under NDA this week. Can't talk nice. about it. Top secret stuff. I'd tell you, but I'd have to kill you. Yeah, yeah. That would be very interesting to see that next week. Keen to see how yep. that goes. I wanted to start by talking about a rumor. So Ooh, okay. nothing that's actually under NDA, apparently, okay. at least as far as I know. And that is AMD allegedly, according to the internet of rumors, mm. releasing two new Ryzen uh, X3D processors, but from the Zen 3 series. So apparently, the rumors are suggesting a 5700X3D and a 5500X3D. Um, hmm. So according to this one tweet from this random person, which as we know is obviously the best source of information that you can get, they're suggesting the 5700X3D would be 
you know, eight core parts, 16 threads, 96 mega of L3 cache, so pretty much the same thing that we've got already, mm-hmm. but with reduced clock speeds, 4.1 gigahertz turbo on that part. And then the 5500X3D, obviously pretty similar to the 5600X3D, but again, dropped in clock speeds to a four gigahertz turbo. So what are you like? What is the point of releasing these parts? It seems a bit bizarre if this is a true story. Yeah, it does. It's obviously a binning issue. Like they can't get quite the same frequency that they would require to get to a a 5800X3D or a 5600X3D, which, you know, that is a product, but it's a micro center exclusive. It, obviously not anyone can buy it. You have to be well, near a micro center store, I suppose, or at least at the very least mm-hmm. you have to be within the US. Uh, I, I had someone in the US buy one for me and, and send it over. But yeah, I mean, they're going to be limited edition parts. They're not they're not new parts that they've produced on new silicon or anything. It's a 5800X3D that couldn't be a 5800X3D. So you have to imagine if these parts are going to be released into the wild, which I don't necessarily doubt. Uh, it, it makes sense, right? There'd be some silicon that can't quite reach the clock speeds required mm-hmm. to be a 5800X3D and rather than physically bin that silicon, <laughs> they want to uh, just distribute it as a low, slightly lower in parts at a discounted price, be a very limited supply. So I'm expecting what we saw with the 5600X3D, some sort of retailer exclusive or at the very least a region exclusive. The 5600X3D, while when I reviewed that at its sort of MSRP price, it wasn't very good value. I think it's meant to be $230 US or something like that, which, yep. you yep. know, it's probably $100 cheaper than what the 5800X3D typically sells for. don't remember all the exact details. I did make a dedicated video about it, but basically it boiled down to the fact that it, as a standalone part, it wasn't really worth spending $230 on because there were just better value alternatives now. So it wasn't terribly compelling, but Micro Center exclusive, you can buy it for $270, which the keen-eyed observers amongst you will have noticed that's more, but you do get a motherboard and memory. So that's pretty good. Like full platform mm-hmm. for $270 US, which is less than what you pay for a 5800X3D. So that combo deal is pretty difficult to beat. It is only like 16 gigs of VRAM, but it's a decent B550 tough motherboard. So mm-hmm. pretty good for $270. Um, yeah, you can't, I can't think of anything that comes close to that. I don't know if you can, but I think no, that's... No, certainly, certainly for sort of a entry-level mainstream mm-hmm. buyer. I mean, because mm-hmm. we, we have been recommending Zen 4 for a lot of, you know, new system builds. Mm-hmm. But realistically, Zen 4 is not anywhere near that sort of price at the moment. Like that's CPU no. and part of a motherboard at yeah. best. Yep. Yeah, I think if you can get those three core components for under $300 US, it's going to be near on mm-hmm. impossible to beat, especially with you know, Zen 4. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, though prices have been getting more competitive. If you're building a more high-end system on something that's not a Micro Center exclusive, uh, so like 5800X3D, you're looking at like $320 for one of those. Unless you're already on AM4 with a decent motherboard, you've got your memory and all that, there's really no reason to buy that CPU anymore. As good as it is, you just wouldn't spend $320 on it. You'd buy Ryzen 7 7700, which I think is about $300, about $20 cheaper, but let's say roughly the same price. You're only going to pay these days about $20 more for an entry-level B650 board like the ASRock HDV, which is as good as like the $80 
B550 boards, arguably mm-hmm. in some ways better because, you know, newer features. And then you'll pay about, I don't know, $20 more for like DDR5 6000 over DDR4 So you're looking at maybe $40, $50 there for those components. The CPUs are roughly the same price. So to get on AM5, it's a $50 premium uh, mm-hmm. for a CPU that at least matches the 5800X3D, but in more bandwidth-sensitive games is faster. Seems like a no-brainer. Like at that sort of price tier, which mm-hmm. I guess for these like upcoming parts, they really would have to be targeting those you know, mainstream entry-level buyers that just simply don't have the three, four, five hundred dollars to spend. So, yeah, the pricing would have to match up there. You know, it'd have to be in the sort of two hundred dollar-ish range. I would have thought for the CPU by itself to make any sort of sense, um, especially because the clock speeds are reduced by about ten percent. I believe they're about four hundred megahertz lower. Oh, really? Ex- okay. Yeah. So. The 5800X3D, 4.5 gigahertz boost and uh, 3.4 gigahertz base, both of those have been dropped by 400 megahertz to the 5700X3D. According to these rumors, of course, this is all based on the the rumored specs. And yeah, 5600X3D again dropped from 4.4 to 4 gigahertz on the boost clock. So, you know, if we're talking about a $230 5600X3D at its normal supposed price with that motherboard and stuff included, and it's going to be potentially 10% slower just based on clock speeds, then, yeah, we're talking ideally below $200 US for that sort of part, if not lower. Yeah, well, 5600X3D is at 230 I can't see the, the 5700X3D being cheaper than that. Yeah. Uh, but, again, it, it's definitely going to be a limited supply thing. Yeah, I would have thought so. If it becomes something like a Micro Center exclusive, then... You might be able to buy it with a motherboard and memory for not much more than a 5800X3D or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then people who have access to Micro Center would buy that over a 5800X3D. If, as you say, if the package deal starts getting much more over that, then it's tough to get that. Like, say about $400 for, it's only 16 gigs of, of memory as well in these these packages. So if you get 16 gigs of memory, a decent B550 board and the 5700X3D for about $400. I mean, you can buy a Ryzen 7 7700 for as little as like $305, let's just say $320. And -hmm. then, you know, once you factor in the motherboard and memory, it's probably going to be, I don't know, $100 premium maybe. So I would always pay the $100. I know it's it's not a trivial amount of money, but to, to go from a dead platform to a platform with some kind of future support seems like that's worth the money. Mm. Uh, and we've seen you know that that be the case in the past. So really, AM4 is... The, the higher-end AM4 CPUs, the simplest way I can put it is the higher-end AM4 CPUs are for those who are already invested in AM4. They have an AM4 mm. PC with a lower-end CPU and they want a quick and easy upgrade, in-socket upgrade. Or for new system builders, it's the very budget stuff, like the, the very mm-hmm. cheap CPUs, like, like the 5600X3D, $270 package. It's pretty good. And I think it'll be interesting to see how far away like a Zen 4, uh, sorry, Zen 5 CPU is mm. next year, because mm-hmm. uh, obviously these are coming out. You know, it's We're more than a year beyond Zen 4 at this point. So you know, Zen 5 is expected at some point next year. You know, it's questionable, like, would you buy even like a package like that or would you wait to see, you know, what's the price movement going to be like for a current Zen 4 type budget build? Like is a, 
a 7600 or 75 was it the 7500f is that going to mm-hmm. come down mm-hmm. in price even more once zen 5 comes out and start offering those sort of you know 300 combination type systems for new builders uh, because that would again sort of offer similar levels of performance more future upgrade path and yeah, that's something to look out for. I don't know how far away those parts are. So obviously, if they're coming out more towards the end of next year, then you'd be getting in a year earlier with something like this, which is a significant factor. Again, comes back to what I was saying. It's it gets it's getting harder and harder to recommend AM4 beyond the absolute bottom of the barrel, real budget entry level stuff because you can buy Ryzen 5 7600 for around two hundred and fifteen dollars right now. And as I said, the HDV motherboard that's one hundred and ten dollars. So it's like $20 more than a B550 board. So you're looking at just over $300 for that combo. And then it's only about $80 at the moment for DDR5 6,032 gigabyte kit. It's not the absolute best DDR5 6,000 memory, but you know, it's DDR5 6,000 memory. It's, it's certainly going to yeah. work. Yep. So motherboard memory yeah, motherboard is about $200. CPU is about $200, probably looking at just under $450 for those three components. So as I said, a 70, uh, sorry, uh, a 5700X3D is going to have to be, yeah, it can't be any more than a 5800X3D. And I mean, that's including motherboard and memory. And even then, again, those combos are including 16 gigabytes, not 32 gigabytes, which is what I factored in for 400 to 450 on AM5. So, I mean, it probably only adds $30 to go to a 32 gigabyte kit, but you know what I mean? Next up, I've got a, a listener mail, a mailbag that okay. I flagged last week that I wanted to, to touch on because this is a fairly interesting, more lengthy, in-depth question than we would normally cover in the Q&A series. So Alvin asks in our Discord uh, chat, which is exclusive to our Patreon and Floatplay members, recently there is a lot of discussion about game optimization upscaling being required slash recommended, games running terribly even on high-end hardware. But what do we even expect? What are the solutions? Do we want developers to limit visual quality so games run better? Do we want developers to spend more time developing multiple quality levels so the performance scales better? Do we expect developers to reach the same level of visual quality but with better performance? Maybe we should treat upscaling as a way of lowering the visual quality to gain performance without the developers having to put any extra effort into more graphics options. In the future, developers may want to stop implementing rasterized lighting, shadows, reflections, and only do ray tracing for more efficient development processes. As we've seen multiple times in the past, development time seems to be a major issue leading to unsatisfactory game releases. Could the future be just a single level of graphic settings and gamers just using different upscale settings depending on their hardware and preferred performance levels? There's Hmm. a lot of stuff in that question, but I think the general (laughs) gist of it is, you know, we keep talking about upscaling, you know, these system requirements come out for games and it's all like, oh, you have to use DLSS or FSR to get the required level of performance, blah, blah, blah. Ups, you know, optimization is poor. But what are the actual solutions? Like what are we expecting from developers with these sorts of things? And I think it's it's pretty interesting because I guess a lot of the time that we've been talking about optimization, it's been from the perspective of, you know, as gamers, we don't want, you know, limited options. We don't want poor quality features and graphics implemented into games. But if we're asking developers to do, you know, A, B, C, D, different solutions to these problems, 
then is that making the game itself worse? Because the amount of time that they have to spend to integrate those features means they can't actually make the game good? Like, do you have any initial thoughts on this sort of premise of this question? Well, it depends, right? (laughs) But it seriously does because different games have different issues. So there's no... There's, there's no one solution that sort of or blanket statement that covers all game releases, mm-hmm. but probably the one that does is development time, right? Like how yep. often do we see a game come out that has some sort of issue, generally a performance related issue that then gets solved weeks or even, you know months after release. Starfield recently just got a big update that improves performance massively. I haven't tested it myself yet, but there's been some pretty reliable sources that have confirmed that there is a performance improvement with the latest Mm -hmm. update. Had the game launched with that, it would have obviously been much better received and many more people could have actually enjoyed the game at reasonable performance levels. Mm -hmm. And that, that was just a development time thing. They needed more time to optimize and improve the game. You know, we saw that with The Last of Us Part 1. I don't think we saw it so much with Hogwarts Legacy. I think that thing's still a bit of an optimization pig. I'm not sure if there's been too much headway made there. But there are plenty of examples of games that have improved through you know, stability, performance, all that sort of stuff. And sometimes it's, it is just weeks after launch that you get a major patch that addresses so many problems. And you're like, wow, it would have been way better if if this was available upon release. Like, It would have been worth delaying the game by two weeks or whatever it might have been to to make mm-hmm. sure that it launched with that patch. But then sometimes it seems like they weren't aware that there was those performance-related issues. Like, I don't know, maybe they just only test with 4090s on a 1300K or a 7800 X3D or something. Not sure. I think that's um, a time-related thing, isn't it? Like, mm. it's not just the time to fixing the issues, it's the time to validate the performance of your game across a wide variety of hardware. Like, if you're rushing to get the game out and you're, you know, there's features that need to be completed, there's performance that needs to be optimized and then you have to go and test hundreds of different configurations like that's all time that developers have to spend right so that's probably why a lot of those issues don't get caught until you get the thousands of people playing it on launch day yeah and you're probably looking at a few weeks work to do that well for an individual like myself usually about a week to test a range of graphics cards in one section of the game under limited quality preset testing and then cpus another week so you're looking at two weeks there and while we do look at a lot of hardware. It's still quite limited testing in the scope of it. Like we can't test mm-hmm. every preset, every resolution, multiple different sections of the game. So it, it certainly is a massive job, probably a lot more massive than what most gamers realize. But yeah, I, I think development time is a big problem, but as I've said, maybe they need to release it, get us to do the beta testing or the, the, the system specification type testing and then they can fix it. I don't know. I, I'm mm-hmm. not sure, but that, that seems to be the case because we see it time and time again. And Starfield's one of the most recent examples. Yeah, and I think there's also like a difference between, you know, recommending that people use upscaling, putting it into the recommended system requirements and, you know, all that sort of thing and sort of it being a necessity in the game. Like, I, I guess it becomes the difference between a, a recommendation and, and a requirement sort of to, to play the game. Mm-hmm. Because there are games that are putting things like upscaling into the system requirements that tend to run pretty well. Like Alan Wake 2 comes to mind. It's a heavy game. Like it requires a lot of, you know, performance to run the, the highest quality settings. But even if you're using it on, playing it on low settings, like it scales pretty well, looks pretty good, 
And it isn't necessarily a requirement to run that game with upscaling, whereas the original release of Starfield, mm-hmm. you know, not only were was FSR sort of built into the presets, it was effectively required to run on certain levels of hardware because the game really didn't scale significantly across its quality settings. I think with developers sort of tossing up this game optimization upscaling question, it comes down to, you know, what's the the final experience that we want to be giving gamers? And I think like if it comes down to, let's say they've got an RTX 2060 type product, so pretty entry level, you know, you're not expecting the greatest level of quality settings and things to run on that GPU these days. But let's say they're looking at 1080p on an RTX 2060 and it's running at 30 FPS, which isn't really sufficient or optimal for for games these days. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess from a development perspective, they're sort of looking at, well, the easy way out is just to, make those people use upscaling, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're on a 2060, slap on DLSS, run it at quality mode or balance mode at 1080p. There's your you know, much higher levels of performance. Suddenly the game is more playable. The other more difficult option is, well, we need to figure out how to scale the quality settings more. So we need to figure out how we're going to reduce shadow quality, how we're going to mm-hmm. reduce volumetric quality, and we're going to see what performance we can get there. And I think a lot of this these issues that we're seeing with games requiring these upscaling things these days is that they, the worst examples are the ones that don't scale very well, that don't mm. have those lower quality settings and are instead forcing people down the upscaling path, which op- often just doesn't look great. Mm-hmm. Like it, I think for a lot of gamers, if the option is on a 2060, 1080p, you're looking at 30 FPS. If the option is, oh, let me turn down a few shadows, a few volumetric effects, turn turn off a few things... Am I going to want to do that or run it DLSS balanced mode? Because DLSS balanced mode at 1080p looks bad. Like you're introducing a whole bunch of visual artifacts. It's going to be pretty unstable while gaming in terms of like shimmering and things like that. And it could just look pretty blurry. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we start to see these these discussions become like, that's where I can understand the frustration because it's like, oh, you're playing at 4K, you can scale the quality however you like, you've got a high-end GPU. You know, there's many different options that you have, whether that's turning off ray tracing instead of using DLSS or other sort of performance optimizations in terms of quality settings. But if you're on a 2060 and your options are like, well, they didn't put in a low-quality settings, so now I'm sort of stuck with this option, that's where I think people would have been frustrated with a title like Starfield, but it's sort mm-hmm. of been at least from what I've been seeing, generally accepting of the low quality settings in Alan Wake. So yeah, I guess it comes down to like how much development time they're willing to put into scaling settings. But like, what would you generally like to see as the the difference in performance between like an ultra versus like a low settings in terms of performance, like double, double the performance? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think games like Cyberpunk probably do that really well. Uh, yeah, the the scaling of quality presets, but yeah, I agree. I'd rather the level of detail take a big hit with low rather than look kind of similar to high, but be very blurry and messy. I'd rather yeah. keep the resolution, everything looking quite almost like you see with competitive type quality settings. Just love that the crispness of of the native resolution, mm-hmm. but you just lose detail, um, less vegetation shadow detail, all that sort of stuff. I, I think gamers probably prefer that to have the level of detail reduced but still have a pretty crisp-looking presentation. 
opposed to higher detail with it looking very blurry and mm-hmm. not good. Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to hear comments from people on, on the, the YouTube video about that. But yeah, I agree. And I think it comes down to, you know, like a, a DLSS or FSR upscaling affects pretty much all of the image. Like you turn on that, you turn it on, especially at 1080p, and yeah, you're going to see shimmering on a lot of different edges across the game world. You're going to see less detail. It's going to be blurrier depending on the implementation, especially those that don't use, you know, sharpening sliders and things like that. And yeah, it just affects the whole image. Whereas, you know, you turn off shadows or you not necessarily advocating for turning off shadows that actually would look awful, but turning down shadow resolution, your shadows are only part of the image. And it gives people the flexibility to adjust different levels of settings. Like they may choose, oh, I want slightly better shadows, but I'm willing to sacrifice a bit more from reflections. So then you would, you know, you'd optimize it for your setup by increasing shadows, turning down, uh, you know, the reflections. Whereas you don't really get that choice with DLSS. You can't be like, oh, you know, I'd want to preserve this element of detail, but then, you know, reduce the other level of detail. It kind of just does it, does it all. Mm-hmm. And I think there are some, there are certainly some games where even on the lowest settings, there's probably still quite a bit of room there to reduce the visual quality side of things. You know, the, the shadows in Starfield on low settings aren't terrible. Like there's definitely still there and you know, reflections and things like that definitely still pretty reasonable on the lowest settings for some of those those games. But I guess developers are also tossing it up being like, well, we don't want to reduce the, you know, the artistic vision of the game and sort of like, you know, we want it to have a certain atmosphere and look. And if we start culling all this stuff to run on low-end GPUs, then maybe it doesn't look the way they want it to look. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that is a thing, but at the same time, it's like get over it a bit. Like, <laughs> you know, they should have a low setting. And I I would advocate for no shadows, to be honest, with the people who, you know, if it gives you a 20% performance bump or something along those lines, then have a low mode, then have a potato mode. Like where's the potato preset? I want that. So yeah. like the, the 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 CSGO or CS2 now type preset for your story-driven games. Like give us the potato preset where it turns shadows off, makes the game look a bit crap, but you can still, you know, get the story, play the game, enjoy the game. I, I'm, I'm all for that. I don't have a problem with that, to be honest. I think it's, you know, it's giving people options as well. Like you don't I have mean, to play it that way. You don't have to use the potato mode. Last week we talked about 30 FPS at length, right? If -hmm. you gave me the option of potato preset at 120 FPS or ultra path tracing 40, 90 maxed out type experience at 30 FPS, I would go potato at 120. Yeah, I mean, if those are the two options. Not even close. Not even close. Uh, I I will much prefer the experience and enjoy actually playing the game potato 120 than path trace 30. I'm 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 not yeah. trying to be silly. That that is honestly how I would go about it. I think as well it depends on um the type of game. Like if if the gameplay of the single player title is very strong and that's the real pull towards the game, then you know having low slash potato level visual quality isn't going to impact your experience too much because it's gameplay driven. So mm-hmm. you, know, you think of games like there's plenty of single player titles that, you know, plenty of indie titles, for example, that don't use a high level of graphical fidelity, but the strength of the game is the, the gameplay. Whereas there are other titles that are more, I don't know what you call it, like 
exploration type games or part of the enjoyment of the game is going around and looking at the nice environments that they've crafted because you know i'm not saying that's they've sacrificed gameplay to do that but some of the games are just designed for that sort of experience that's what they're selling you so you know i think of a you know i've just been playing alan wake i think a potato version of that game would probably be bad just because it is sort of a more horror type game you know it's designed for you to really not be able to see things particularly well you know, it's you know, it needs that horror style ambiance where it's like lots of volumetric fog going on, lots of shadows going on, and that sort of impacts the experience of that game. Whereas, you know, a title like Cyberpunk, it looks great, but a lot of the game is built around the actual quality of the gameplay, at least with the current versions, maybe not so much the initial release, but mm-hmm. certainly 2.0, like very fun game, gunplay's fun, lots of really great quests and storytelling throughout that game, lots of interesting things going on. It doesn't necessarily rely on the strong visual quality, which is why, you know, even though low in that game doesn't look nearly as good as the path trace mode, it still is a very enjoyable game to play on those type of settings. And it's why I believe as well that Alan Wake 2's low settings don't really cut down everything to that mm-hmm. sort of potato mm-hmm. level. But then again, there's plenty of games where I could see the potato mode working successfully. Yeah, I totally agree. Alan Wake's not a great example for what I'm talking about. Having said that, 30 FPS, I did play it at that with it cranked right up in the most glorious settings and mm-hmm. I did not enjoy it at all. So, I mean, if you didn't enjoy that and then you go potato mode and it's nice input and smooth and that, but it doesn't look good either and you don't enjoy that, then it's just a game that honestly you need really high-end hardware for. Uh, cyberpunk is definitely an example of a game where yeah potato mode would be preferable to path tracing at 30 fps for me like i i can't play the game like that like just aiming mm-hmm. down sight weapons and stuff ugh, awful mm-hmm. but then there's other examples where what i'm saying is absolutely true but you're on the multiplayer scene like you know the battlefield games some of the latest ones 2042 they look visually very very impressive but then a game like battle Beat just blows them out of the water because more people can play it and enjoy it, obviously, with lower-end hardware. But also people, like, that whole genre of games, people aren't playing it for the visuals, as impressive as some of those games mm-hmm. can look. I mean, Fortnite can look breathtakingly good when it's all cranked up, ray tracing, nanite, the whole lot lumen. It looks amazing, like, really cool. It's just a crap way of playing the game, regardless of mm-hmm. what your frame rate is. Uh, but obviously all those things do hammer down your frame rate, even on a 4090. So what were we talking about again? It's sort of like what's the solution for optimization, right? Like what are <laughs> yeah. we what are we what are we realistically expecting of developers? And I think, mm. you know, I don't think it's unrealistic to expect a developer to in- integrate both upscaling and a reasonable low quality preset in the game. I think mm-hmm. that that is just going to open up so like if I think about it from a business case from the developer's standpoint. Like if you, you're you limiting the options of gamers and limiting the range of hardware that it's going to run on and run to an acceptable level on, then you're limiting the amount of sales you could potentially get for that game. If your option for, again, the 2060 example, 1080p, 30fps, if there's very limited range of options that that gamer can do to enjoy that game, then maybe they're going to be less likely to purchase the game. And mm-hmm. alternatively, if you're sort of you're only allowing that that 2060 owner to use upscaling to improve performance, then the next tier down in performance below the 2060 is effectively going to be useless because then you're talking about 15 FPS being put up to like 20, 25 FPS, not really playable. Whereas if you offer that gamer both a low quality setting and upscaling, 
the 2060 owner has the choice between the two options. And then the super low spec gamer has the option of, again, potato mode with upscaling, really make the game not look very good. But if that's, you know, the hardware that you have and the option that you have, you can still play the title. So, yeah, I think, you know, from my perspective, the solution for get for developers, what are we expecting from developers? You know, I don't expect them to have hundreds of different graphical quality settings in the game that you can tweak absolutely everything but i think so long as you're seeing preset scaling that between ultra and low you're getting roughly double the performance they're integrating you know the today's upscaling technologies the latest versions across you know dlss and fsr potentially xcss as well then that's a pretty good place for the game to be sitting in and i think if they're going for you know not bothering to put in that low quality setting work then yeah i think it's probably generally speaking worth doing that at least but then again a developer would probably come on the podcast and say like we just don't have time to do that so i think that's ultimately what it comes down to which is you know what we said at the, the beginning of this conversation really what we need is developers to have more time to optimize fix mm-hmm. bugs and issues and improve the actual gameplay of the game and, and i said it's, it's kind of a bit like what's going on like some games get launched and within a month a lot of the problems with the game both bug fixes and optimization are delivered with a patch and you just think wow like why the game should have released like this and you know we don't we we don't do game reviews we don't cover games but if you if you liken it to the hardware that we review if you know nvidia or amd released a graphics card and and upon release and we've seen this before mind you it had stability issues and performance related issues and then a month later multiple performance related issues were solved it was much more stable you're like wow this should have been released one month later like it it should have just been delayed for a month those things should have got fixed and it should have been launched it would have been much more well received and it wouldn't have been tarnished with those various issues so same thing with the games yeah i think that's it's probably a a publisher level decision on the on the game side of things like i doubt that a a game developer who is aware of the issues is going to be saying Hey, look, you know, I found all these performance problems and bugs and, you know, I know I can improve this if I have more time, but you mm-hmm. should release the game anyway. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's mostly, you know, the the game publishers who are often, you know, executives sitting in a boardroom somewhere, you know, they're getting a little desperate for their their cash influx. So they're sitting there saying, well, you know, the, the features of the game are complete and where we're happy with. Um, all those other things, we'll fix those later. You know, mm. it's it's playable, but it's questionable yeah. to how good that experience is. So they just push it out the door. And the, we've seen varying levels of that over the years. It can run from everything from they pushed out the door with only minor problems, like they're sort of just sacrificing the last 5% of optimization, or they can push it out the door with major missing features, major mm-hmm. problems with optimization and performance. And they're just sort of going, well, you know, too late. Like we, we, we've run out of money and things like that. But I think a lot of these games that, you know, they're being published by major companies. Like we're not talking about EA suddenly running out of money if they delay Star Wars Jedi Survivor by another month or two, right? Like that's not the difference between their business failing and surviving. Those sorts of games should be delayed to the level where, you know, the performance is up to scratch. Now I know they probably have to pay the developers more time to work on the game so it increases the budget and cost of the games. That's all... You know, a balancing act for the for the publishers and stuff, but you have to weigh up like also they have ne- to do that anyway. Like they have to do that anyway, and and also like what's the how many sales are we going to sacrifice from the negative 
reactions to the game and often there's like hype cycles and stuff so people will just buy it anyway and Mm -hmm. you'll get a cyberpunk scenario where the game is commercially successful sells heaps and heaps of copies but people start trashing it and not actually Mm -hmm. playing it so and i think it costs them i think the reports were saying like a hundred million dollars to fix that game over the next three years and develop the expansion as well which is obviously a very expensive proposition so yeah, I mean, it's a complicated topic, isn't it? Like we're sitting here saying like just delay it and int- integrate these features, but there's all sorts of you know commercial reasons. And I imagine a game like City Skylines 2, which was recently released with a lot of issues, was more down that sort of commercial side of things as in like, you know, we can't afford to delay this game for another year. Like we just don't have that level of, of mm-hmm. money available to support that game. That said, that game probably should have been released as an early access title as opposed to a full release, but... You know, those are sorts of ways those things those things go. But yeah, I think it's an interesting interesting question there. Well, there's like three or four different questions there, but hopefully we've answered that to a, a pretty sufficient level. I guess one thing we could talk about a bit is the APO testing that I recently did and released sure. a video on the Harbour Unbox channel. Well, also Gamers Nexus has done a video since then, which I've watched and that was interesting. Uh And yep, Steve gave us a shout out and mentioned our video as well. So that was cool. Reflecting on it now, looking at the state of APO, the support, all that. And then how long are we? We're quite a few weeks now since the launch of the 14th gen. And we've not really heard anything about APO, like additional game updates or Mm -hmm. adding more CPUs. For example, it only supports the 14th gen Core i9 and Core i7 parts. So... Mm -hmm. Quite surprisingly, and I didn't talk about this in my video, the Core i5 parts aren't actually supported. So like the 14600K, and that has plenty of e-cores. So a bit weird there. Not sure what's going on there, why that's not supported. And it sounds like based on what Intel said, they're not actually looking to add that CPU, which I also find a bit puzzling. I mean, I'm not saying they won't add it, but they haven't come out and said that they are looking to add the 14600K. They just said at this point in time, they're not looking to add any more CPUs to the support list. So a bit mm. weird there. Seems like a bit of a PR stunt, I think, the APO, to be honest. It seems yeah. like they were just trying to add something to the features list of 14th gen to go, hey, this isn't just a copy and paste with a complete change of name to try and fool everyone. We actually have this new feature that is in no way unique or you know there's nothing 14th gen does with this software feature that 13th gen couldn't have done but we won't talk about that so just it just seems like a bit of a a marketing stunt to try and promote 14th gen and it's it it seems unclear that they have any intention of really doing much with the feature beyond what they've Mm -hmm. done so far whether that's because, and probably likely because most games don't actually benefit from that kind of development work, optimizing core management and scheduling, because if it did, they would have surely launched it with stuff like Starfield and Hogwarts and all these other demanding games that people are actually yeah. playing, opposed to like Metro Exodus. So what, have, what do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, I thought sort of, you know, there's been plenty of releases of features that have been fairly limited you know, various different levels of impressiveness, especially on the GPU side of things like, you know, DLSS, the original launch of that comes to mind. But mm-hmm. at least when NVIDIA talked about DLSS in the launch presentation, they were like, these are the games that are coming first and, we, you know, here's our big list of games mm-hmm. that, like, mm-hmm. we're promising to support in the future. 
And, you know, we're going to be continually updating this. And we did see several games get added to that list. Now, eventually, not all those games actually did launch with DLSS 1 and eventually rolled across to DLSS 2 and, you know, different updates over time. But at least there was the appearance of NVIDIA committing to that feature and sort of saying, well, you know, we're selling you on this feature and, you know, here's what we're doing with it. Whereas, yeah, Intel, like, it is concerning to me that they're not coming out and saying, like, you know, where's the, you know, we're doing this for the future. Like, these are the games, you know, we're planning on supporting 10 games. You know, they don't even have to say what titles there are. Like, we've tested in two games. We've got another 10, you know, another dozen in the works or something. And, yeah, they you know, can be very vague. We're working on support for additional CPUs in the 14th gen family. They don't even have to say, yes, we're going to support the 14600K specifically, just, you know, Clearly, it's on two CPUs, but we're working on more, guys. Like, But then, you know, it was always going to fall apart once people realize that this feature, there's no real reason why it sh- can't be supported on 12th and 13th gens. They're never going to have, like, a particularly good excuse for why that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it seems two games, no talk of future game support, no talk of future CPU support doesn't work on old CPUs where it really should work on those parts. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a feature that they've strongly committed to. And I think, you know, even XCSS on the GPU side, again, it's a different team that works on those features. But Mm -hmm. when they announced it, they announced it in multiple different games. They're like, we're definitely supporting this over time. We're getting this working on as many products as we can. That's our roadmap for that feature. APO is totally different. That's right. Whenever Intel has been committed to something, they've made it known. They're like, you know, we're going to improve this. We're going to add to this. Mm -hmm. All these things are going to be happening in the future. Even if it's vague, they've still... Let, let you know they're committed to improving it. Whereas APR, apart from announcing it, having it in the review guide and you know, a page on their website, there hasn't been much talk about it at all beyond just what it initially supports. And all the statements around it have been vague, like, you know, what it does, what they're planning on doing with it. But there's, yeah, there's no sign of committing to it or improving it in the future. So I think really is a PR stunt to to try and sell 14th gen. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's something that, which, which is really misleading and disappointing in on itself because you buy a 14th gen CPU because you're like, oh, this APO is crazy. Like look at the performance boost we get in games. And it's not trivial, mind you. Like, you know, we're looking at 10, 20, 30% gains depending on the, the test configuration. That's huge. So if you're expecting to sort of see those performance uplifts across a reasonable range of games, that is a reason to invest in 14th gen. But then a year from now, how many titles are going to be in that APO support list? I'd love it to be 30, 40 games, but is it going to be more than two? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's really hard to say. Yeah. Like, I guess they're tossing up between, you know, like how many games could they have included? Like, let's say they've tested 50 games. It turns out 48 of them have little to no performance gain. You know, the, there's always that choice of, well, we can release it in 50 games. People are going to test it in 50 games. The average may turn out to be 2% or yeah, something. It's like resizable bar type gains. Yeah. Like AMD could have restricted resizable bar to the games that only delivered a 10, 20% performance uplift. So then they could go and market like, hey, this produces a 10, 20% performance uplift. We're going to add more games in the future. We're not going to tell you that, you know, in about a dozen 20 of those games you get no performance improvement or it goes backwards but ignore that like don't think about that for now you know that that could be the scenario with an, an intel apo type solution mm-hmm. so again like it, it seems to be just something that 
is for that, you know, the list of features, right? You want a healthy list of features for your new processor generation. Mm -hmm. It talks about all the advantages, all the new things that are coming. You don't want that list to be like two dot points, which is effectively what 14th gen would have would have been, right? Like it's 14th gen and it has higher frequency. Um, yeah, that's right. And, <laughs> and we're not saying APO shouldn't have been created or is bad. I think APO is fantastic. I just think APO should support all CPUs that have e-cores. Uh, and if, if it turns out that only two games need APO support, then so be it. But it, yeah. it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a bug fix for those two games on CPUs with e-cores. But they're not doing that. They're, they're trying to leverage this this bug fix as an actual feature is how I'm looking at it. And, and they're yeah. doing it very selectively. Who knows whether internally Intel they did develop this as sort of like a fix for some games where they're like, hey, this is something that can improve performance. Then the marketing team gets hold of it and is like, ooh, goody, goody. We've got something here to market our CPUs on. There's really yeah. not much else for us this generation, so we'll put, put that in the list. But you know, I think Intel... I'd say they typically don't do that. Like they don't typically have features that like that sort of thing. Like most of the time, you know, I th even if I think back to the, what was it? Was it the 12th generation that needed quite a significant number of software level fixes to get even just games and DRM working? Yeah, that's right. When that came out, they were very committed to fixing that. They fixed that, that issue quite quickly, released, you know, pretty consistent, you know, updates and sort of this is our progress towards this and, you know, we're committed to optimizing these CPUs for a wide variety of applications and that certainly happened. Look on the GPU side, they've, you know, strongly committed to driver updates, improving features, adding features. You know, XCSS has had two revisions since it was released. You know, they've generally been pretty good with that side of things. So it's, it, it is in contrast to, I would say, is their sort of normal operating behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't really think of another feature where they've sort of done this and sort of just released it and abandoned it so quickly. But I'm, I say that now, and we're probably going to get a whole list of things in the comments that Intel has abandoned. But yeah, like Optane, that was supported for a while though, wasn't yeah, it? Like you could buy yeah. new hardware was, and stuff. And yeah, yeah, it was around for years. Yep, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's a completely different thing. But I was just giving you an example of something that Intel abandoned. <laughs> well, they did. They did. That is fair. Yeah. Yeah, so. there, there's there's plenty of things, but yeah, I I don't know if there's anything very similar to this. But and again, we you know we're just speculating at this point. I mean, APO could be heavily supported and expanded upon over the next month or year. We don't know, but so far, mm -hmm. not looking promising. Looking very much like some sort of marketing ploy. So one thing I wanted to talk about in this podcast episode was my playthrough of Cyberpunk 2077: Phantom Liberty and. Not as much the game. I will talk about the actual game maybe towards the end, but more the you know, the experience using all of NVIDIA's features. So I played the game. Obviously, I have an RTX 4090, so this is the, I think as you put it, the rich YouTuber experience. The entitled YouTuber experience, yeah. So entitled YouTuber, I've got a 7800 X3D, I've got a 4090, I've got an OLED monitor. I'm kind of running you know, the best of the best, which is you know whatever. But I thought, you know, Normally, even on my 4090, I don't always crank everything up. I don't use all the different settings and features and things. I sort of tweak it to how I want to get the level of performance that I want. But for this particular playthrough, the entirety of my 30 hours playing Phantom Liberty, I cranked on all of NVIDIA's features and path tracing. So I ran the game with path tracing enabled. I ran, so I have a 3440 by 1440 monitor, so 1440p. I use DLSS super resolution quality mode. 
I used frame generation and I used ray reconstruction all enabled. And I thought I'd run through some of my thoughts on, you know, the the various different features and we'll have a bit of a discussion here because you've used some of these things as well. So I'll start with path tracing, which I think is sort of the the lead flagship feature in the game. It's not in very many games. Using this feature, it is very impressive visually. I think it does provide quite a noticeable improvement to the quality over rasterization or just the standard ray traced effects. It makes the lighting look, feel more natural, particularly outdoors, in, you know, indoors with artificial lighting, not so much. Pretty significant impact in the daylight. And again, it does depend on the scene. So some I did a lot of like turning it off and on, going mm-hmm. back to rasterization, turning back on path tracing. There are some areas where it has little to no difference just because I guess the the baked in lighting is pretty close to what the path tracing mode would do. But then there are some areas where it is you know, significantly better, a lot more reflections, accuracy of reflections and things like that, which again, it makes the game look better. But it's not... It wasn't a slam dunk win for me because the game is pretty clearly designed to be used with the standard ray tracing or rasterization modes. So there are areas in the game which are very, very dark using, uh, you know, with HDR on Phantom Liberty. It's very difficult to see some of those areas because, you know, path tracing relies on the lighting in the scene to light the scene. They're not using any hacks or trickery to make those areas visible. So there are some parts of the game, there's no torch in the game where it's, honestly quite difficult to play with path tracing on and there's some corner you you go into a corner there's no lights you basically can't see anything so i think with path tracing and these sorts of titles it's going to be difficult for game developers to add it in just towards the end of the game they really need to think about how path tracing is integrated into the title which is going to be a lot of work for developers to do the the rasterization lighting path and the the path tracing path Mm -hmm. because like I would imagine for multiplayer games, like path tracing, you'd need to be very selective with what, how you liked the game. You need to have like spotlights in all sorts of areas. You just wouldn't, maybe it will never really be a thing for, for multiplayer. I'm not sure. Hard to say on that. And certainly no time soon because of how taxing it is on, you know, GPUs and PC hardware. So that's, you're not going to see Call of Duty path traced edition. Yeah. And, and actually gamers using that. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a, a really slow progression into multiplayer games because you don't want to give yourself a disadvantage in a multiplayer game. You don't want to make mm-hmm. things darker and have someone else be able to see more easily in a corner or something where someone may be hiding or a some sort of you know shrub. Yeah, I don't really know what the solution is there, but it's gonna be a, it's gonna be it's gonna take a long time. It's gonna be like the graphics you see in Cyberpunk with path path tracing and all maxed out that'll play on like almost integrated graphics if you know what i mean like yeah that, that yeah. level of detail before that is the base level of visual fidelity for a multiplayer game like call of duty mm-hmm. warzone or something like that yeah. so no no time soon is i guess what i'm trying to say i think the other thing that i found with with path tracing in the game is sort of you know you've touched on before that things like the texture quality in cyberpunk isn't mm. I don't know. I don't know how much I agree with you saying that the texture quality. I think you've said in the past is it's fairly flat and and bad. I think it, it depends on the area that you're looking at in the game. Yeah. But you know, r- path tracing is not a universal solution to make the game look realistic. It does mm. require a foundation of good textures, good geometry detail. You can't just slap it on a game and sort of say, 
hey, this looks realistic now because we've put path tracing in. It needs, you know, you need to bring up all the other areas of the game as well. And there are certainly areas in Cyberpunk where the geometry level, the textures are not that impressive. So, you know, let's say you have like a fairly rocky sort of ground surface or a road or something. You know, path tracing isn't going to have much impact if that you sort of flatten that whole thing down with all your rocks and detail into a flat texture instead of giving it the you know roughness and and detail that would allow path tracing to actually provide shadows and interesting mm. lighting effects there. I think Cyberpunk does suffer from that in some areas, less so in the newer area of Phantom Liberty, but in some of the original parts of the game, it, it, so you sort of see the the issues there with geometry and texture quality mm-hmm. that you sort of exposes the ray tracing effects. And I think a game where you see more of that in was a title like Dying Light 2, which a lot of people, including me, thinks looks better with ray tracing on. But I don't think that game looks particularly good because the geometry level, the texture quality level isn't anything overly special like it's pretty Mm. average in that game average to low maybe in that game and ray tracing can't solve that like it's just Mm -hmm. improving one aspect and certainly you know a game like alan wake 2 which i've also been playing with path tracing on is significantly superior to cyberpunk in my opinion in terms of texture quality dense world density geometry detail it looks it's a lot better in that regard and i think that allows the path tracing to look better Mm -hmm. so yeah, I think Cyberpunk, like obviously it's a three-year-old title now, so you can't, you know, and it was designed to run on a PlayStation 4, unbelievably. So mm-hmm. you can't expect it to have insane levels in all of those areas. But it would be very interesting to see what a Cyberpunk 2 would do in terms of path tracing plus increases to textures, geometry. I think that would give it a really impressive experience across all areas. Yeah, a high-resolution texture pack for Cyberpunk 2077 would be awesome. And I... I I may well. I'm of the belief that I think that would have a more significant improvement on the visual presentation of that game when compared to just ray tracing. Crazy as that might sound, I honestly think that high resolution textures would have a more noticeable impact to how the game looks overall. If you're talking just textures, I think it would need to be textures and sort of like improving geometry detail and things on on the ground and things. There are some very flat you know, like a rocky area on the ground. You'd want that I mean, to look like rocks as opposed high, to just High resolution, a, unique, detailed textures can make the level of detail look like it's been increased. Yeah, that's true. So, so I guess it depends on how they implement it, I guess. Because, I mean, you go from like a game like Fortnite, for example, if you play that on competitive settings with low quality textures, it looks bad, like battle bit. But if you use the epic quality textures with the rest of the competitive settings, which is pretty much how I play the game, it actually looks pretty good. So the the, the textures look to improve the level of detail and the presentation of the game significantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, again, if you, if you doubled texture quality in Cyberpunk, then I imagine that would make quite the noticeable improvement to all areas of the game. I'd prefer that over the standard ray traced mode in the game. Once you start using path tracing, the standard ray tracing mode, you're kind of like, yeah, it's not actually as much of an improvement as I think people first thought when that mode was released in the game. Path tracing is a much more significant step forward in terms of visuals mm-hmm. and sort of more cells you on the, the on the ray tracing experience. Like the difference between rasterization and path tracing is really what the the ray tracing you know, generation should be bringing people in terms of the improvement to visuals, maybe not the mm-hmm. performance side of things, but you know, yeah. visually. Yeah. So I guess 
Yeah, I mean, I imagine in a game like Cyberpunk with better textures, there would be it would trade blows in certain areas. The path traced mode would look would provide more of an improvement in some areas. The texture quality side of things would provide more of an improvement. It just depends on sort of how the existing lighting looks and things like that. Yeah, that that's all very true. And I guess when I say all of this, I am heavily factoring in the performance side of things that you just alluded to a moment ago. So oh, of course, yeah doubling the textures on the ultra quality preset without RT enabled, you're looking at well over hundred FPS with a, with a pretty decent graphics card, but not a 4090, like, you know, 4070 type card. You should be able to do that at 1440p, no dramas in that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, admittedly, that's only a 12 gigabyte card, but still um, that would allow for better quality textures than what the game currently has. So next up DLSS super resolution. So I think DLSS in this game is pretty unimpressive to be honest, in terms of its super resolution side of things. 1440p using even just DLSS quality, so not even like low setting DLSS, like the first quality option. The game has pretty noticeable ghosting. It like does, lights, yeah. cars, wires. Very often you will see ghosting in motion in that game, especially driving around the city. And that sort of thing is pretty annoying to me. Like I don't really like that sort of effect. I find it quite noticing, noticeable and distracting. And yeah, the level of detail that DLSS provides in the game, especially emotion, it's not great. And I think that impacts as well. Like the game is, I'm not sure whether it's fast paced for a single player game, but there is driving, there is, you know, you can run around and things. It's reasonable. Yeah, it's reasonable. I I think, you know, using features like DLSS on this sort of resolution does reduce the, the texture quality. So you could run around and, you know, some of the detail loss is, is noticeable in those areas, especially if you're seeing ghosting on top of that. So generally in this sort of game, I think if I was playing it again, I would ideally like to play at native resolution with DLSS disabled for this particular game. I'm not sure whether the developers need to change the DLSS profile so that it, you know, there's different presets for DLSS, things like A, B, C, D that control the amount of you know, frames that are accumulated into the algorithm. So there are presets that use fewer frames, so you get less ghosting, but you might see more instability, more shimmering, those sorts of things. Yeah, again, I'm just playing the game stock, like I wasn't using a DSS DLL profile changer and DLL swap solution. This is just the game as it's shipped. But certainly the level of ghosting, I think, was unacceptable in my Cyberpunk playthrough and maybe it's better at 4K. I imagine lots of people have been testing it at 4K and looking at the quality improvements there. But yes, I would ideally not be playing with DLSS uh, super resolution on. Mm-hmm. Next up, DLSS frame generation. So my final output frame rate using path tracing, DLSS quality, frame gen, and so on was sort of in the 100 to 120 FPS range most of the time. So the, okay. the native frame rate in the sort of 50 to 60 fps range and so i found the latency issues in the game noticeable um, more so than alan wake 2 at the same sort of performance level um, the game feels reasonably sluggish like mouse smoothing I, i've talked about this before in frame generation content but moving the mouse quickly quick pans felt slow the you know, it's a first-person game. I was playing on mouse and keyboard. I think that impacts it as well. Mm-hmm. But certainly, like, playing that sort of game at 50 to 60 FPS level of latency, even with, like, reflex on and those sorts of things, is not the sort of experience that I would would typically be wanting to play. And I imagine that no. that's pretty much your experience in these sorts of things. Yeah, when I was playing around with the exact same 
you know, quality you're talking about. I found a base frame rate. I mean, this I couldn't do it with path tracing, so that had to be disabled. But everything else it was about eighty to ninety FPS was where mm-hmm. it became acceptable, and I, I would yeah, say I good. Yep. And then beyond that, you know, better and better. But that that you sort of wouldn't want to go below eighty FPS. Ideally, around ninety was where it started to feel really good and, and, and play well. Yeah, I, that's sort of my experience as well. Testing, you know, frame gen off, path tracing off. That's a sort of ideal experience for a game like this. But even with the forty ninety. 3440 by 1440 DLSS quality, you just can't get that level of performance with path tracing on without, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not using DLSS performance. So that's that's out of the question. Um, however, you know, I think the frame generation aspect, the smoothing aspect is better than using motion blur. So if you had the choice of playing at 50 FPS with frame generation or motion blur or none of those things, so just the sort of slideshow aspect, my preference would be frame generation of those options. The smoother, it does make the game visually look much smoother, especially if your base frame rate's around 50 to 60 FPS. I've got an OLED, so the transitions are pretty fast on an OLED. That can kind of expose low frame rates a bit more than you would see on an LCD, but certainly noticeable smoothness advantage. And a lot of the time, the frame generation side of things, especially for slower movement, works pretty well. Like the frames Mm -hmm. are not you know, they're not super blurry. A lot of the details and things are preserved from frame to frame. So I think it looks the best of those three options. I think motion blur probably looks the worst of the three. Um, you know, motion blur, I just don't like. I think it just smears the image. It just doesn't really do what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, getting that sort of transforming 50 FPS into 100 FPS, it's smoother, it cuts out the choppiness, and it isn't blurry. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of the real key benefits to frame generation however in motion i still noticed quite a few artifacts at this level of output frame rate so 100 fps you know the game has quite a few grates meshes wires even the interior of car windscreens there are some models of car in the game you can get to sort of have like wires across the interior windscreen Mm -hmm. and those things just are not handled particularly well with frame generation at that level of frame rate so you could be in an elevator for example and you know the doors to the elevator will be a mesh door and they'll be running over like you know you can see out into the game world that is that looks really bad with frame generation on if you're like going upstairs and there's you know handrails and and mesh along the sides of the the rails and you're moving along there's going to be a lot of artifacts around those sorts of elements. So anytime there's sort of like that sort of mesh pattern where you can see through to the other side, it's sort of, you know, it's flicking between you're seeing the grate and seeing the, the game world behind it. Frame generation needs a lot of work to handle those sorts of aspects better mm-hmm. because at that sort of frame rate, those areas I found distracting and quite annoying. Mm-hmm. But the, I don't think those issues were bad enough for me to not use it over using frame generation. Mm-hmm. So in a game like Cyberpunk, provided that you know my frame rate was good enough, I would probably choose to use frame generation. So my choice for the game would be, yeah, super resolution I'd try not to use, but frame generation I would use after a certain level of you know, base frame rate. Mm-hmm. I think if I was playing the game again, though, I'd be attempting to optimize the game more into that 80 to 90 FPS base frame rate, then apply DLSS, which would give me you know, probably about 100, 160, 170 FPS, that would be a better experience than the lower frame rate. I imagine some of those visual artifacts would be reduced, probably wouldn't notice the latency, and it would look smoother. You wouldn't need to use, you know, motion blur would become totally irrelevant. Um, It'd be a very nice experience. So, 
yeah, I came away from frame generation sort of thinking, yeah, it's it's got work to do. It's okay. It's reasonable, but it's not quite there yet for this level of experience. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not optimal for that sort of yeah 50 fps base frame rate totally agree and the way you would prefer to play the game is exactly how i would go about playing it so couldn't agree yep. more with you on that one yeah i mean it's just good to to play a game fully through using these features like obviously i've tested it extensively for the sorts of videos that i've made so far but that might only be you know playing it for an hour here and there mm-hmm. sort of looking at very specific things like let's move back and forth across a one particular piece of you know foliage in the game to see what it does and then do that with all sorts of different settings whereas just interesting to have a look at you know can i actually notice those things when i'm playing the game i think the answer for cyberpunk is yes for latency Mm. and it's yes for some of those artifacts but you know for other sorts of things i think in my original video for dlss3 i sort of showed things like you know the gun might you know you move the gun a little bit and it sort of looks a bit weird or a car will move past and looks pretty weird didn't really notice too much of that it was more those sort of very specific mesh elements, wire elements, grates, where you could sort of start to see the the image quality fall apart there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if I could get eighty to ninety FPS from the game, I would play with frame generation on. I think that would be that that would sort of be the optimal experience there. Can't say the same for DLSS ray reconstruction. Okay. So, I think this exposed kind of maybe a flaw in my original testing of this, where I tested pretty much exclusively this feature at four K. It's not nearly as good at 1440p. Um, Playing with path tracing on, there are lots of artifact issues with ray reconstruction at this resolution. The general ray tracing effects have a fairly low resolution look to it. There's lots of sizzling on reflective surfaces. Like I'd be in an elevator, the elevator doors would be like a gold medal sort of look. And it would just sort of, I don't know, just be like sizzling, bubbling away. Like there's no motion, but it's sort of, And these are the sorts of things that ray reconstruction was supposed to be addressing and fixing. Things like texture issues, you know, I I talked about that a little bit in my initial video where, you know, if there's like a reflection on the ground and the ground's got a texture, you turn on ray reconstruction, it can often almost eliminate the texture on that surface and only show the reflection even at a low resolution. And yeah, that applies to what seemingly is more surfaces at sort of a 1440p resolution. I'm guessing the resolution of the game is just too low for that sort of effect to really separate what's a ray traced effect, you know, where does the ray tracing need to be applied. Ghosting is increased using ray reconstruction as well. I just don't think it's been trained enough at this point to be used at 1440p. And I, if I was playing the game again, I did play the whole game with this feature on, but after one or two hours, I definitely would have turned it off the whole playthrough. I think the path tracing experience with ray reconstruction off would have been better. Sort of doesn't have too many of those sizzling, weird, you know, low resolution effect appearance. It does have its own drawbacks, like it can be noisy at times. It's slower to have the ray tracing effects settle to the final aspect. Mm-hmm. But the yeah, I was pretty disappointed with the artifacts at 1440p. And even just flicking back to 4K, it was noticeable how much better ray reconstruction works at 4K. A lot of those okay. issues, I guess it's because, you know, DLSS quality with ray reconstruction at 4K is more like 1440p native resolution. Mm-hmm. At 1440p, you're looking at 1080p, so or just under 1080p with those sort of settings. So yeah, unfortunately, I don't think it was, yeah, I think it needs a lot more work. But interestingly, playing Alan Wake 2 with the same uh, feature enabled, it's much better in Alan Wake 2. So maybe even just between Cyberpunk and Alan Wake, they have improved the feature a bit there in terms of its visual quality and things like that. But yeah, 
Cyberpunk not amazing in that area. At the end of the day, my optimal experience playing Cyberpunk, if I had if I had my time again, I was going to choose things again. Mm-hmm. I probably would choose to play like I would want to play with path tracing on mm-hmm. at native resolution with frame generation at a high frame rate. That would obviously be the ultimate experience without ray reconstruction. Mm-hmm. I think that would be the best right now, but you can't really do that on a 4090. So I would probably choose to play without path tracing at the native resolution and then again still with frame generation on. So it would be some sort of combination of rasterization and ray tracing effects to target 80 FPS-ish at a sort of native resolution with frame gen. You get a pretty good experience with that and it would still look pretty good. So, yeah, it's sort of, yeah, I've seen a lot of people sort of saying, oh, you know, I definitely want to play the game with path tracing on. I get it. I sort of get, you know, you see the the visual improvements, the experience there, but to get it to the level of performance that's required to get it to a nice playable experience for me, the compromises that you have to make to visual quality through super resolution, frame gen, ray reconstruction, it just wasn't quite, it's not quite there yet, I guess is the mm-hmm. best way to put it. Like I imagine a game two years from now with those features, it's going to be better, more optimized, improved. You know, you're going to be, tar- be able to target a, a higher frame rate and things like that and that will be the ultimate experience but for now if i was playing it again i'd probably choose yeah to to sort of go with the the standard uh experience which again i've seen a lot of comments of people doing the same thing so i guess maybe i'm not alone there that nah, makes sense i guess just quickly the game itself i'd highly recommend if you just want to play an excellent game would highly recommend getting back into cyberpunk 2.0 and the phantom liberty expansion some of the best quests and side quests are in the new expansion area so yeah if you sort of played the original game you're like this wasn't you know there's too many bugs the game sort of feels unfinished to me i agree with a lot of the people that are saying that this is the sort of final ultimate experience of the game that it is a very good experience a lot of the quests have interesting choices that you can make through them lots of great areas new sort of interiors and things to explore in the new part of the game that they've added in and yeah, the, the gameplay elements, you know, the improvements to gunplay, AI, just general movement, the new trait system, they've improved the way driving feels, the cop AI, all that stuff has been significantly improved. And yeah, it's a very, very impressive game now in terms of the game itself after all of these updates. So yeah, they've clearly put a lot of time and effort into the game to sort of get it to that level that they were happy with. They didn't just sort of release it and be like, okay, that's that, like we're done, we're moving on. They're like, nope, not happy with that. We want this to be an excellent game for people to play. And I think it is at that level now um, that people can can enjoy it. So yeah, it took me about, I think just under 30 hours to play the expansion, which itself is basically, you know, it's almost a new game sort of length. So yeah, I think between the original game, which is about 70 hours in length, 30 hours for the expansion, it's a pretty good amount of mm. value and gameplay there. And yeah, you can sort of enjoy Phantom Liberty in it as its own experience. I'd forgotten everything that had happened because I played the original game when it came out. So yeah, just sort of getting back into it. It's kind of like a, yeah, almost like a new game. Lots of enjoyable stuff there. So yeah, I'd certainly recommend it. Maybe not with um, path tracing enabled, but at a mm-hmm. good level of performance. Yeah, it's very fun. So nice. let's take a break. We'll get back. We'll talk about some boring life events. All right, Steve, we're back. Hit me with your updates. What have you been up to? Well, I hope you've got some boring life news stuff <laughs> for, for the listeners because I don't really. Like I said, I've been mostly testing stuff I can't talk about this week mm-hmm. uh, and I haven't done too much else, nothing that really comes to mind. So 
your yeah. boring life really has been boring. Well, depends it's, if people class the NDA stuff as, you know, people might think that's exciting. Well, <laughs> I've found it exciting and enjoyable. So I've okay. enjoyed it. It's just that it's been, I've mostly just worked and I can't talk about the work. Fair so, enough. Makes sense. I'm pretty limit, limited in what I can talk about this week. We'll keep that for a future week because sure. we'll I think, be to, yeah, next week we'll talk about it. We'll be able to talk about it a bit more. So obviously I'd finished uh, Cyberpunk 2077 actually I think a couple of weeks ago now and I've been mm. well into playing Alan Wake 2. So at some point I will talk about sort of pretty probably the same sort of things as I just talked about with Cyberpunk with Alan Wake, like talking about path tracing and, and DLSS and all those sorts of things in the game. I think the game is more polished in a lot of those areas than Cyberpunk. So you're even just between those two games, as I said, I think there's a there's already been optimizations made to that experience. Um, so yeah, sort of is I think it's a more promising demo into the future of game rendering than you'd see from Cyberpunk. It's certainly a better example of all of NVIDIA's features working together. I think that's the game that they probably will be focusing on moving forward to sell graphics cards. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll talk about that again once I've sort of finished the game and, and looked into sort of all areas to it. But on top of that, I've been playing with my partner, Spider-Man 2, on PlayStation 5, and I finished that game, I guess, a couple, maybe a couple of days ago. Um, pretty short game, so it doesn't take too long, you know, maybe 25 hours to play the whole thing. And... Yeah, I thought it's a very enjoyable game. So again, if you have a PlayStation 5 or you know, you're thinking about getting this type of game when it comes to PC in probably a few years because you know the other games are available on PC, it's very similar to the original Spider-Man game, so like Spider-Man Remastered, Miles Morales on, on PC as well. Pretty similar, obviously some advancements and improvements there. And yeah, on PS5, I played on the performance mode at 60 FPS, so I'm not going to be touching that 30 FPS mode. No way am I playing a game like that at 30 FPS. Um, but yeah, 60 F performance mode. I think it, you know, it looks pretty good for for PS5 level hardware. I've seen some people saying that it looks like the best game, you know, of this generation. I don't agree with that at all. There are games on PC that are much more visually impressive than Spider-Man 2, even just like a Cyberpunk or Alan Wake 2 are examples of games that I think look better. The the game has, you know, the the texture quality and geometry quality again. I think is an area that is sort of not amazing in Spider-Man 2. Sure. Some of the lighting and things look look good, but even like the ray-traced reflections and things, obviously you're not going to be getting a path-tracing-like experience on PS5-level hardware. So it looks good. Like I'm not going to say it looks like a, a bad quality game. Some of the texture quality in some areas is very good, but you sort of stop and pause and look at the city and you're like, okay, this isn't <laughs> really like a cyberpunk experience. It's, it's a good-looking game, but it's not like, I don't think the the hype around its visuals has been necessarily justified, at least compared to what I've played on on PC. I haven't played Alan Wake or Cyberpunk on PS5 to know maybe comparatively to those games on the same hardware, it looks very impressive. But yeah, I think PC, you know, it's still still the optimal way to play these sorts of games and yeah, still only getting 60 FPS. So very fast moving game, those sorts of things. You kind of need to rely on a bit of motion blur, things like that. Otherwise it looks a bit slideshowy. But yeah, I mean good game good quality game that none of that impacted my experience of the game at all would recommend it it was a lot of fun so yeah ps5 hardware still holding up pretty well in terms of those sorts of games and yeah not too much is sacrificed to hit 60 fps at don't know what resolution it was running at probably 1080p or something but <laughs> reasonable on a tv i'd say well that does it for the hard run box podcast for episode whatever number we're up to i've totally forgotten 
It's 13. I've just looked at my notes. Episode 13. I was going to try and throw you off. Damn your notes. (laughs) I think it's updated. I think it's episode 13. So, yes, thanks to everyone that has listened to the end of this episode. The audio versions of of this podcast do typically get released before the video version. So head to the uh, the description in our YouTube videos. You can find the audio feed there. Or if you want to submit a comment, you know, we've got a Discord community. We've got a podcast channel there. Give us some listener mail, things like that for us to talk about or just chat about the podcast episodes. So, yeah, thanks, everyone, and we'll see you in the next one. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.